Well, isn't this nice being back together like this for a new episode of Books Closed? Thanks for joining me. I'm Andrew Stortz, as always, and I'm just sitting here in this little room, this little microphone, waiting for someone to listen to me talk about tats. And today, that person is you. So to celebrate your lucky day, I was able to have a nice discussion with Chicago-based tattooer Faith, the owner of Wish Me Luck Tattoo, which is a brand new shop. And notably, it is the first black, trans, queer-owned shop in that city. Faith has quite a story. Some of the spots in this episode, they almost left me speechless in a way. I didn't know how to react because there were some unexpected turns. And I don't want to tease you too much because you don't have to wait that long. We're about to hear it. Don't worry. But we start the conversation talking about how Faith had quit tattooing after over a decade on the job, and she underwent conversion therapy through a church. This is a story I have not heard the likes of on this show. I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's let Faith do the talking. Here we go. Before we get started, in the place of where you would normally hear an advertisement right now, I am the sponsor this week, and I am sponsoring it because of my desire to have my dream guest on this show. And I'm going to, I may need your help. I'll be honest. I may need your help. I often ask on an Instagram story or I ask friends, who would you like to hear on Books Closed as far as guests? Who's your favorite tattooers? Who do you want to learn more about? And I get a ton of great suggestions and many episodes that you've heard have stemmed from people's suggestions when I asked that exact question. But I would like to focus on who would I like to talk to and who do I think is the most famous tattoo artist ever? When I think about that, the only person I can think of is Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit, who was a tattooer in the 90s. So if you have a link to Fred Durst, if you know how to reach Fred Durst, if you think you could help me get Fred Durst on this show, I would love for you to please email me, andrew at booksclosed.com, and let me know what you think. You could also DM me on Instagram, at Andrew Stortz. However you need to reach me, if you've got the goods on Fred Durst, help me out. Thanks. So let's talk about the year that you've just experienced. Sure. The year we've all experienced. (laughs) Yeah. So let's think back to exactly a year ago. Mm-hmm. In terms of your work life, what what did things look like a year ago for you? Man, I mean, I uh, I had only I took two and a half years off from tattooing at like year ten, eleven. I just I just I needed a fucking break, and I feel like that happens to a lot of people that have been tattooing. You hit the ten year mark, and I feel like you like fake retire, which is kind of what I did, or you open your own place and you tattoo less and you just focus on running a business, you know, um, or you quit altogether and like do something that has nothing to do with tattooing, which I also did. Um, but yeah, I had been back tattooing after two and a half year break for like, I think that was like month seven for me, month eight and was actually just really excited to like go into 2020. Um, to, you know, continue like peeling layers on myself and just kind of enjoy the gift of tattooing with, um, 
you know, fresh boundaries and um, fresh gratitude because it had been so long since I had tattooed. And uh, yeah, and it was all good until February. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So, so as you were going into, right before you took a couple of years off, um, more specifically, what, what were you feeling then? Like what made you really want to step back from tattooing and take a little breather? There, there was a bunch of stuff going on. Um, part of it was I had just moved to Chicago from L.A. Um, to like support my, my partner then. Um, and uh, it, was a tough, it was a tough move. And um, I don't know if you've heard anything about like my, I went through like conversion therapy with the church and all that stuff. And so some of that was going on at that time. And like every six weeks, I was flying back to California to deal with clients there. And then I'd come back here and yeah, I was like, I was putting like 80, 90 hour weeks in, including travel time, tattooing. I, I burned myself out and then yeah. like pressure from the the church also. Um, I, I, basically, I had a nervous breakdown. So, Can we talk about the, confer- the conversion therapy a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, is conversion, and these might be dumb questions, I don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you were uh, motivated to pursue or, or how, do, like, wh- how, does, how do you get um, into that? Yeah. Um, I, so I think there's, um, there's kind of two ways to do that. It's like the, the traditional way where it's like you have, um, you know, maybe like fundamentalist parents or something that see things in you as a child and then they like send you to a camp, right? And there's like this very formalized, um, that's the only focus, right? Is um, trying to convince somebody that they aren't who they are. Um, and then there's like, I feel what like- they, What do they even do? They make you like play baseball or something? No, I mean, I think that, well, yeah, actually, yeah, there is some of that of like making, making folks like engage in like gender specific activities, right? Um, that are, yeah, yeah, so it is dumb shit like that too. And, um, and then the, what I think is like the more like insidious way is that like, that's actually like how the church operates as a, like, at a baseline, right? Which is like very gendered, um, very binary that, you know, uh, women have their roles, men have their roles. There's no in between. And, um, you know, there's some churches that like, yeah, they don't even let women wear pants, you know, like that's like not a, that's not a thing, you know? Um, or things like, you know, women preaching or having leadership in the church is not a thing because it's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a man's role with air quotes, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, then there, there's just that, like this very insidious way of like, um, coming in the name of love and saying like, Oh, you know, you're feeling this way because you don't actually like love yourself in the way that God made you. Right. So you need to like, just trust us and trust this process and like trust the definitions that, that God has outlined for gender, right? And as you fall more into that, like you'll feel better. And and I didn't. Like I I I got, you know, two years into that and I was suicidal. So it it didn't uh it did it did not do any of the things that they said it would do. So you were an adult when you were going through that? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I like shared before that like I'm a I I kind of feel like I'm like hell on wheels and a pretty strong willed person and not really susceptible to that kind of stuff, right? Like cultish shit, which is like basically what that was is a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, it happened to me. I feel like if it could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. To be honest with you. Well, I'm sure the the desire to be part of something and something that you feel is like the right thing. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like with religion, it's such a huge, like righteous path that we can, you know, it's possible to look at it that way that I, I mean, it, to me, it makes perfect sense that anyone could be susceptible to, mm-hmm. to following a path like that. But obviously it had the reverse effect on you. Yeah. I mean, the part that's so actually insidious about it is, is that the, the idea is like, um, is based on a foundation of like loving people where they are, right? And that you're okay exactly where you are and that the motivation for doing everything is love. The, the thing is, is like that definition or like the way that gets worked out gets worked out in a way that's very warped, right? And that's what I mean by it being like insidious is that it's not actually meeting people where they are. It's trying to get people to change into the definition the church has for for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like giving you love if you act right, you know, if, if you, you fall into right. the right path or whatever. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. yeah. That's scary shit. I feel like that's like, uh, you can make a million horror movies about that sort of experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wildly abusive, you know, it's very, very abusive. And, um, that, I mean, that, and that's also why it's so damaging is it's, you, you kind of start engaging this abusive relationship where you're like, oh, I want, you know, I, I want you to like maintain this relationship with me the way it was when it started, you know, and it's like, okay, well you need to change and then we will, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. I, I cannot even imagine. Um, it almost, it doesn't even seem real to me almost. Yeah. It's, it seems so uh, yeah, it's intense. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your relationship with religion at this point? What split me from the church is I stopped not being honest about how I was feeling and started calling things out um, on a pretty regular basis. And so for me, the thing that was hard was trying to juxtapose um, what I was reading, which is that here's this, um, here's this, this guy that comes from nothing, has nothing, is like God in the flesh on earth that's loving everyone exactly where they are, not judging people, hanging out with prostitutes and thieves and not really change, trying to change their behavior, just trying to have a relationship as their creator with them. And I'm like, that is not who the church is. Like, um, you know, and, and so that started to like split me, I guess. Um, cause I just couldn't reconcile those two things of like, how do you have this being that actually does say like, um, I love you. I created you. I want to have a relationship with you. Um, I, I know you have problems. You all have problems and I'm still okay with you. I still love you and we're good. You don't have to do anything with, if you don't follow these rules, like you're going to burn in hell for all eternity and God hates you. Like those two things don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't match, you know? And the more right. vocal I got about that, the more problems it caused. Um, I got put on like church discipline where I like wasn't allowed to talk about things. And then eventually I got excommunicated from the church. So, geez. Yeah. So for trying to like, out, like talk about love and like what love actually was. 
Yeah, well, I guess your definition of love didn't fit the narrative, so I... <laughs> <laughs> experience like that, how do you go about navigating the road towards living authentically as yourself? Especially if you're not quite sure what that looks like yet. Having lost a sense of community and belonging that Faith was seeking through the church, her road led her back to tattooing. I was working a very, very corporate job in e-commerce. And I feel like The way to preface this is that um, I feel like tattooers are born, not made. And once it gets a hold of you, it's, uh, there's no escape. There's no getting away from it. Or like, you know, like Ed Hardy said, like, yeah, tattooing will ruin you for a straight job and like forever. So this, uh, these feelings, and and I had a lot of anxiety about uh, tattooing I didn't go into a shop for two and a half years. Like I couldn't do it. Like the smell the uh, like green soap and the sound of machines literally just gave me anxiety because at the place I was when I left, it was just, I was done. I was just done. Um, and, but I started to have these feelings again, like that, the longing, right. Of like wanting to be in those spaces and hear those sounds and smell the smells of, you know, green soap and alcohol. Right. And, um, I reached out to one of my mentors. Um, her name's Nicole Arcade. She tattoos in uh, Olympia, who was like the first person to give me, to open a door to me into the world of air quotes professional tattooing, because that word's like super debatable. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said, hey, you know, I'm having these feelings. Can I like just share with you like what I hadn't talked to her in a couple of years, right? But can I just share with you like what's what's going on? And she says, yeah, I'm like finishing some appointments. Just type everything, type the whole story, everything that's happened in the last two and a half years. When I get done, I get home, I'll read it and I'll respond. Um, and so I did that at the time I was doing um, like stand up here in Chicago. So I was at a open mic and then I get this response right from from her. And I'm like two people away from being called up to do my little five minute bit, right? And I just start reading it. And I'm like, the words that she shared, right, of like what I was made to do, which is to tattoo, um, and why these things were coming back up for me, and that this is what I needed to do, it's what I was born to do. And I like, I was crying in this, like, comedy place right and didn't even hear them calling my name um they were calling my name so long that they actually just moved on to the next person and so and I didn't realize this until I like kind of came to and I was like oh shit that person was after me you know (laughs) (laughs) um and then yeah I I like I just went outside and like we were engaging and she basically held my hand in conversation for a month like she talked to me every day Um, I hadn't drawn, I hadn't painted, I had done nothing for two and a half years. Um, and just kind of like walked me through coming back to tattooing and, um, a lot of like very serendipitous, like tattoo magic shit happened. Right. Which 
I love I love listening to these like tattoo podcasts and people tell their stories and there's just like all this like wild ass serendipitous shit that happens in tattooing. And so when I left tattooing, I fucking left tattooing, right? Like I left my machines, I left my paintings on the walls. I fucking left. I didn't take anything with me. And I wow. said, whatever happens to this shit, I don't care. I don't want to see it anymore. Um, and so during this, these, this month of my mentor, like coaching me back, right. Um, and like easing my anxiety about coming back into tattooing and also like what it means. Like I have a child, right. Of quitting a sure thing and jumping off a cliff and going into hoping that it's going to be a sure thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I get a message, right. Um, I had, I had a friend that was like, you know, you should start an Instagram, right? Because I had deleted all of that stuff when I left. And just put your artwork up and see what happens. So I had done that like a week prior, right? Just put up pictures or whatever, basically no follower. Like I had like 10 followers and like one, like half of them were my family, you know? It's <laughs> a good and, start. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> someone, a friend of mine that I had tattooed with previously reaches out and says, hey, um, I have something for you. And I might get emotional telling this story because it, it, it just it just means a lot. But you should come by the shop. This is the shop that I like ghosted. Right. They thought I was dead, basically, until that someone like found out where I lived and like checked on me to make sure I was OK. Because I, I like I said, when I left, I left. And um, I said, OK, I'll 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 come I'll come by. And I went by. Um, he had saved all of my artwork like boxed it or put it in like roll the shit that was unfinished, like rolled it up in a little paper carton in the cartons and uh, returned all of my artwork to me that I wow. hadn't even seen in, you know, two and a half years. And then the, uh, yeah, the owner of that place found out I was there, stopped what he was doing and like, what, what, are you, uh, what are you doing? Let me, or how long are you going to be there? Came and offered me a job on the spot. And I'm like, I haven't tattooed two and a half years, man. Like, I, I don't even know if I can, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Uh, um, but that's really, that's how I came back. That's how I started tattooing again. So this same owner um, has like a, you know, the shop that I, I went back to initially is just like, it's a street shop, which I'm like, you know, born and bred in like street shop tattooing. Um, and so it was actually it felt really good to get back in that environment of someone coming in and like, we need, you know, we need this shit done yesterday. And there's like a, you know, lobby full of people and you're tattooing all day. You're tired as fuck, you know, make a bunch of money, wake up and do it all again tomorrow. You know, it felt great to get back to that. And I think that was like good after like not tattooing for so long to like, like cut my teeth again, you know? Um, but yeah, he wanted me, he has this it, more of like a, premiere it's still a walk-in shop but it's got like this like appointment only feel like gallery style place um that was a, a lot further out for me it was like an hour to commute there but the money was right so it was it, it was worth going up there and I felt like some of the people that worked there I, I knew who they were and like it's always a good thing to work with people that are much better than you are tattooing right you have really nothing to lose in that but um, yeah, part of this process of even coming back to tattooing was like 
getting in touch with like who I am, right? And being true to that and like walking in that truth. And so, you know, it was coming back to tattooing and then like refocusing on like my gender identity and like my sexuality and figuring out like who am I? Because I really lost that with the church. And um, so working there, it was really great. I mean, I still have a lot of gratitude for what that space was, right? But um, always with the intention of like, I'm eventually going to move into like um, wanting to find people that are more in my own community to work with, not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to open my own space, right? And so, um, yeah, I worked there, obviously like, that would have been um, June, July of like 19, going through that year. And then we find ourselves here in 2020 and uh, COVID happens. And so there's a, there's a break, right? And um, then really the catalyst for everything that's happened um, was George Floyd being murdered. And the way that not just that place, I don't want to single that place out, but a lot of people in the industry uh, responded was either in like complete silence or, you know, folks came out of the woodwork with all their racism, which I think anybody that's been around tattooing long enough, like that's worked in the industry knows that that, that stuff has always been there. It's like foundational in a lot of ways to tattooing is just, you know, the stereotypical white boys club shit, you know? So I started to, I, I have a background in, in activism. And so I think that the the murder of George Floyd really galvanized a lot of, um, you know, black people, brown people and white people, which was, you know, really nice to see that lots of people did actually show up, which made it even harder to stomach, um, you know, racist white people it's already you know it's already I already can't stomach it but that that just makes it even even worse that like everyone is coming together to um fight for injustice and to show up for black people and yet here you are with me your black coworker, right um and you want to just pretend like nothing is going on or like I don't have all the feelings about what's happening right now. And like, that's, that's a very, I guess, stereotypical of what like the black existence in white spaces is, which is there's these horrible things going on for us as black people always has been. Um, but we still have to show up to work on Monday morning and put on a different voice and a different face and pretend like everything's okay um, to make things safe for the white people that we work with and to not make them uncomfortable, you know? And so I just started calling people out and not just at the shop that I worked at, um, other people that I know in the industry that have like, you know, they have like platforms and that I have relationships with from before I took my break that I had like reconnected when I came back um, and really prominent people in the industry that are incredibly fucking disappointing 
Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to name names, but I, I will say that like very prominent people in the industry that I really expected more from white dudes that just didn't show up or felt like them posting like a little fucking black square on their Instagram was somehow going to like make me feel better or, you know, that they had somehow done the work, you know? Um, but yeah, so that happens and I just go, I can't fucking do this anymore. And to keep it like, um, all the way real, I just decided that, yeah, like I was done like making white people rich. That's, that's really what it comes down to is that, um, I'm working my ass off and I have done so my entire career to line the pockets of white men that really didn't give a fuck about me. So I was done doing that. So I decided that I was going to start a GoFundMe to create a space that was the antithesis of all of the things that are wrong in our industry um, and to make like the most healthy, safe, and diverse space that I possibly could. And yeah, it took 30 days to raise almost $15,000 to do that. And I think that... Um, at the rate in which it happened and the response that not just, you know, this isn't just clients or people in the queer community or people in the black community. It was really people from, it was clients and everyone, it was really everyone is what I want to say um, that responded and was like, oh yes, like we, we need this space. Like this space has to exist. And people poured into that. Um, and that's really the way the support has looked throughout this entire thing of like, I feel like even making the space is like given healing to people and feeling like even if they don't live in Chicago, there's a space that they can aspire to come to and know that like, while they're there, everything's going to be okay. Like they're not going to be mistreated. They're not going to be, you know, told that they're, you know, if they're a black person, that their tattoo is too complex and it needs to be simplified or it needs to be high contrast and exaggerated in order to look good on their skin or they can't have color because they're too dark or any of the other dumbass, lazy ass shit that people do in, in tattoos, tattoo shops. And for other tattooers elsewhere, I think it shows them that they can do that too. Like to create yeah. to make their own spaces, which I think will be the biggest change that we're going to see. Um, that that I, I can't imagine that you're not inspiring other people to to kind of open their eyes and think, well, shit, maybe I can, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's with the funding from their community or or not, you know, just to mm -hmm. make to to go for it and know that it's probably going to be fine. Can I? I mean, can I share something with the, the thing? Uh, like, I feel I feel like I I'm not like old school in the sense that like I started tattooing in the fucking seventies. Right. But I, I mean, started, who really is, <laughs> you know, I, right. I feel like, you know, even starting in, in 2006, it's like, there's a lot of that old hat shit of like these arbitrary ass rules that people make up about this is what you do and what you don't do. And when I started this GoFundMe, it was like all the, all the old school guys coming out of the woodwork. That's not how you do it. You know, if you want to open a shop, you don't ask people for money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you're the same motherfucker that wouldn't give me a job. It, I, I, like I could be the best tattooer in the world and, and you would not give me a job because I'm black. 
And like, I've literally had those experiences of like walking into prominent shops and having someone that I respected say, oh man, like, I really like your work and we really need someone that does traditional. But um, yeah, I, I just, I could never hire a black person because it would make our clients uncomfortable. Really? Yes. People say that? In Los Angeles. Like okay. this isn't in fucking rural, in the middle of bumfuck Egypt, right? Like this is, this is in Los Angeles. So, wow. So when people tell me like, oh, that's not how you do it, fuck you. Yeah, because right. I, I have to do it the way that makes sense for me because asking you to provide a way for me didn't work and it didn't work for 15 years. So. It's a lot of do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, Which, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just makes me, you know, it's the shit of like, you have, you have all these, uh, we use the term like DIY tattooers, but the, the, the old term would be a scratcher. Right. Right. And you have, all these people that go, oh, there's the right way. If you didn't have an apprenticeship, then you're not you're not legit. And it's like, Jeff Gogoway started in a fucking trailer. Shut the fuck up. But no one's going to say anything to Jeff about how he started tattooing. Why? Why? Because he's fucking incredible. You get in where you fit in. And there's a lot of people in the industry that started just like that, right? Because they couldn't get their break. And now they're here and they probably lied like a lot of us did of, oh, yeah, I ha- yeah, yeah, I have my apprenticeship over here or whatever. And no one made a phone call to double check. And because nobody actually cares. It's no just like gave, if, yes. if you can wear your badge, your apprenticeship badge on your fucking Boy Scout sash, <laughs> then it's all good. But like yeah. nobody actually cares. Yeah. All these arbitrary rules. And then just because I, I want to, you know, I want to center like the like black and brown and like, you know, queer experience in tattooing proper the reason that we've started in these spaces is because a it wasn't safe to seek out a gig in any of the existing places um or we couldn't get one you know or it's like for me like I was tattooing DIY until I got like a formal I got an apprenticeship very thankful Tony Velasquez of Ink Divine Tattoo Company in San Pedro I had a legit apprenticeship. But I will be took, calling to verify that. You do that. Yeah. <laughs> you do that. Um, and I, you know, I Tony is like my big brother. Like it that that uh that mentor relationship like went the direction that it should, where it's like we're we're just incredibly close friends now, right? But like it took me four or five years for that to happen. There was, you know, it didn't matter how fucking good my artwork was, you know. And before Tony, it was experiences like what I told you of like people saying that they couldn't hire a fucking black person, you know, so. I feel like uh, the root of a lot of that attitude, whether people realize or admit it or not, it's like a scarcity mentality mm-hmm. where it's like any, any way that they can keep as many other people out. And like, if you, if you check a box and it's like, okay, well, you're definitely out or you're like, it's not going to work for you or you can't do it this way. Or even if someone is an amazing artist and or tattooer, Mm -hmm. if they, if they're not doing it the right way, then it like devalues what they do because they, they didn't do it like how I did it. So it's like, yeah, they're good, but like, whatever. But how, I just don't understand how we can still be looking at things that way because it doesn't matter how you get to the finish line if you're there. Yeah. If, if, if you've got the confetti flying all around you, like you did it, like mm-hmm. it, it, it's happening. And, 
I don't know. I, I feel like I've, I've, I'm a broken record because I talk about this sort of thing a lot lately on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because my mind is still continually blown because I'm like, my just my my brain has exploded from when I started this show because I thought I was going to like showcase all my favorite tattooers and I was going to show like what real tattooing was and what tattoo like what cool stuff was but mm-hmm. but it it became pretty apparent that I was very off base and I've definitely like subscribed to and regurgitated some of like you know the company line that that you can give to people or, or just like being closed off from from being open with information to younger tattooers or other yeah. like peers or whatever it might be and it's just tiring and and even when i did it i couldn't tell you why i did it i mean i i wasn't in a position to be hiring or, or anything like that so i didn't have those specific experiences but mm-hmm. um yeah just the feeling that it was like this crazy secret but i didn't feel like i actually had any secrets anyway Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, what was I, what was I guarding? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. That's just the way it's done. And like, that's yeah. so dumb. Yeah. If, if you ask someone something and they, and they say no, because, th- because I said so, or because that's the way it's done. It's like, mm-hmm. that's just, that's not a good enough reason for anything anymore. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And it probably never was. And to, to build on what you said too, that the thing that that's so problematic for me is that number one, all modern tattooing is appropriation, first of all, um, that comes from indigenous or black, African, um, South Asian, all of these other cultures that have done this thing for thousands of years, right? Without any of these arbitrary rules that have that we're doing here in the United States or in the UK or Italy or U- Europe, right? That first of all, like who made who made who made the rules? I, I don't. I don't understand who made the rules. Is it because from my, some of my recollection of like tattoo history, it's like Huck Spaulding had classes in upstate New York that you could go up and take and you left with a fucking Supreme or a Puma and you got sent back to the city and oh, good luck, you know, but there's, there's people posting, you know, videos of, uh, of tattoo schools in China and going, oh, they're ruining our industry. And it's like, but no one would say that to Huck Spaulding, right? For teaching Mike Perfetto in a class that his dad paid for and then sending him back to Coney Island with a machine. And that, that was, that was the, that's how he did it. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I, there, and, or being able to buy, you know, in the back of Popular Mechanics, being able to buy a tattoo machine, you know? But I think people really pick and choose who they want to apply those, those kinds of rules too, you know? For sure. Well, I think each society will kind of define what the rules are. Mm -hmm. And, And if we're talking about a society where tattooing is like part of coming of age or it's like, you know, with whatever it may be, that's, that's their set thing. And, and when it's not like a, like a capitalist based exchange. I'm glad you said that. I want to go there next. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of you know, why things are the way they are boiled down to analyzing it from that kind of point of view. But, um, so the fact that it isn't that in, in certain cultures and societies, um, it, it takes away some of the things that we can compare. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like now the fact that we, with the internet, we can see little glimpses of different societies and we can try to apply our ideals to that, to judge it or to devalue it or to celebrate it, whatever the case may be. maybe that's where the difference is just because we're able to see so much because certain societies will never see outside of like what their version of tattooing is or was, or, Mm -hmm. you know, 
for whatever that's worth. But, um, but yeah, let's talk about capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I, that was going to be the second point that I brought up is that there's this there's this idea of like what you said, scarcity, right? And it's, and immediately, oh yeah, capitalism. That um, yeah, there's this idea of like competition. That if somehow if if you have while I'm having, then we're both going to have less, right? And that it's just I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's first of all, my question is, well, how much do you need? You know. How much do you need to be okay? Yeah. And even as a shop owner now, um, I can tell like an anecdotal story. One of my one of the people that I hired did their very first drop, and then brought me the brought me the receipt before they dropped it in the safe, and was like, "Hey, you know, can you double check this math because it seems off, right?" And I look at it and I go, "No, that's that's it. It's right." Oh, it seems really low, and I'm like, "Yeah, because you're not you're not here to make me rich." You're here to make a living wage. And the amount that you're dropping takes care of the rent here. And if I want to make more money, I'll tattoo more. I don't need you to do that for me. So the, the, but that's, I mean, that's not how, you know, that's not how things go where people are giving 50 and 60% of their income before they even have to pay Uncle Sam at the end of the year. I mean, money makes everything tricky. Mm -hmm. But, But I think even at a more base level, uh, I mean, the way that we think about business and money and stuff, it, it's a lot of insecurities just even at a root level that, that influence the way that we approach all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets tough. It's, it's hard to change someone when, when the root of, of their outlook is based in something that they need to kind of address in themselves because mm-hmm. you can never tell someone to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would also suggest too, like if, if you, uh, there's a few things like if, if you want to do better in tattooing, then be better. Like focus. I mean, that's the old, that's an old rule, right? Focus on your art. I was told that a million times, right? Don't focus on the money, focus on your art and then the money will come. Right. But the other part of that too, is like, I think 80%, 90% of what we do has less to do with the art. I know people that like, you know, their tattoos are not that great, but who they are as a person, they they got a line wrapped around the building because people just want to spend time with them, right? So, you, it, I think it has more to do with how you how you treat people. And if you're if you're worried about being busy, then I would say, yeah, treat people better and work, get get better, you know, painting, get better tattooing, and and you'll be fine. So yeah, I mean, it seems it seems almost too simple. I think people are always looking for like the the hack. Yeah, I don't think there is one with tattooing. I think no. that it's any trade. It's like you're, it's based yeah. on your skills and your abilities, and, and that includes every. Like you're saying, it's not just the, even just the artwork and the technical ability. It's mm-hmm. everything, the way that we are towards people, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much to it. Yeah, I don't think there's a hack. I think, and and I mean, I guess this would be an old school way of thinking: is that there's one way, and that's the right way. Like that's it. You know, it's just I think people apply that in ways that just really doesn't make sense. Like they do it in really toxic or like gate, ways that are like gatekeeping that just keep people out. And like full disclosure, even for myself, like I'm not above like self-analyzing. Like I often have to like check myself when someone asks me a question, like a technical question, and I immediately find myself guarded and I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to give you that information, you know? And then I have to think, well, why? Like, why can't I tell someone like what I lined a tattoo with? Like, 
how how does that like take from me that someone knows that I used a fucking nine round shader <laughs> to do <laughs> to do a traditional tattoo? You know, I used a loose nine or a fucking loose fourteen to do something like yeah. That, that somehow they're gonna be able to that somehow they're gonna like their tattoos are gonna now look like mine like no they have their own hand they have their own way of doing things you know so. yeah i mean that's just that's just part of that thing that was like beaten into us to various mm-hmm. degrees depending on how we were taught and the people that we were around as we came up mm-hmm. now yeah, i like doing it i love doing that stuff when i like i love saying like what what i use to like what tools i use i mean people think about other other places in the art world right people tell you like what mediums they used, right? What, 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 whether it's painted on wood or canvas, um, what brushes that they, they, they use. Does that mean you're going to be able to paint like that person? Of course not. But you want to know what went into it. Yeah, there's just so much like unique stigma around education in tattooing that I, don't, I can't liken it really to anything else. Because I, mm-hmm. I came up, I went to music school, and it was, it's, you know, it's the opposite, like you're saying, with like fine art going to art school or whatever it's like the mm-hmm. same thing Every, it's everything's an open book mm-hmm. you can buy the textbook you you can get time with teachers and experts and and musicians and all this stuff and it's just open like that's part of it is i learn all this stuff and then i give it to you i give it to the next wave of people and that's how it works and, and you know you pay for lessons and you do that stuff but there there isn't even that sort of structure no. in like a standardized or, or like a widely um accessible way in tattooing and i think that's what's so interesting because we make it we, we all say how we love it so much and how it makes our life special and fucking worthwhile and it gives us purpose and it's all we want to do and it's all we think about. But then if someone says, man, I'd really like to try that and you're like, nah, it's probably not for you. It's like, how the yeah. fuck is it not for you? How- <laughs> yeah, and, and how dare you tell somebody that they don't, they don't have the right to try. It makes me think of my, my, one of my English professors that said, you have the right to fail. Like, just because you're here doesn't mean that like you're going to be great at this or... Um, that you're going to really love English and you're going to change your major and now you're going to be, you know, a journalist. Like, you have the right to fail. You have the right to come in here and figure out that this is not for you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. I think a lot of people would find that out about themselves in tattooing, that it, it isn't actually for them because it's quickly. not. Yeah. <laughs> quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. And I, I wanted to interject, too, that, yeah, I think that tattooing has suffered because the, the the lack of openness and um in many ways is is behind where it could be have had people just been more open and i think that even the things like like you have a podcast now i can think that like maybe even 10 15 years ago doing something like this that wasn't like given out privately, right? Like you maybe made a mixtape of, of this interview and gave it to very special people in very special circles. This, even this podcast would be shunned because you're giving up too much information, you know, which I think is dumb, but I've gotten they, feedback like that even now from certain people. They're, yeah, they're dumb. Um, <laughs> thank you. The, but I think that things like I remember when TLC came out with the first tattoo shows and there was just, it was a fucking uproar in the community of like, fuck TLC and fuck these shows. And if you go on these shows, you're a piece of shit and all of this stuff. And then like two years or so after those shows, it went from, cause I, I feel like the folks before those shows that came in to get tattooed, I love those people, right? But it was like, 
still fringe. Like you were like either tattoo people or you weren't tattoo people. And I felt like the, those fringe tattoo people that came in before the TV shows came out were like the coolest fucking people ever, right? Yeah. Just shit was just wild and it was fun. But after that, a couple years after that, I tattooed my first kindergarten teacher. And then I tattooed a lawyer and a doctor. And I was like, oh, this is, this is fucking cool. Like, but why did that happen? Tattooing got opened up. So I, I, it's a, a, just to double down on that, I feel like our, our collective inability or resistance to opening up um, really limits and actually like harms the industry. And that's not to say that you have to be completely transparent and open about every single thing to every mm-hmm. single person, but sure. there's, there's a lot of middle ground between that and the alternative mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Yeah. And Prime I think example. You, oh, sorry. Sorry. I Go just ahead. want to say quickly, you can learn so much by sharing with someone because it forces you to think about why you do something that you kind of take for granted at this point. Because so much of tattooing, it's like repetitive movements and motions and ideas mm-hmm. and stuff. And we've all got, got little issues that persist and we try to like fine tune and tweak as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone is like, oh, why do you do it like that? And you're like, hmm, well, maybe if I did it a little different, it would actually fix it. And you can fix your own shit by, mm-hmm. by telling someone something that you thought you knew, but you realize mm-hmm. that you still have a, a place to go to. And I don't know, I've always felt like I've, I've gotten so much back from uh, sharing with others. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it, it makes me think, so it's sometimes people can ask things that like, you know, that giving that information is not helpful. Right. So for example, um, every Tuesday I do like an, an AMA on my Instagram and the stories. Right. And someone asks me, um, what voltage do you use to do to line? Right. And my response was the right one. Right. And I don't think I'm being a jerk. Right. Every machine is different. You really can't base things off of numbers. If I tell this person, I don't know what kind of machine they have. If I, they could have a rotary that that actually can't go past a certain voltage, right? So if I tell them that and it breaks their machine, that's not right, you know. Or if I tell them that and they, you know, fillet somebody, then I'm that's irresponsible on my on my part. So I, I don't think I think that there's certainly a space for like not just blurting out information when someone asks, right? It would be a lot different though if like someone that I'm working with is like seeing me use my Paco Rollins like machine that he built for me that line that literally is for like 14s and I use it for like 14 rounds and 18 rounds. That thing is a fucking mean beast. But I have to run it at like 13 volts, right? For it to like even do what it's supposed to do. And I have other machines that if I ran past four, yeah, I would like fuck somebody up really bad. So if someone saw me doing that and said, hey, why do you run that machine at like 13 volts? How can you even do that? Right. And it's like, oh, and then we can have a conversation about like how different machines are tuned. But to just like disseminate that kind of information on the Internet is not actually helpful. Right. Yeah. There's a time and place for everything. I I think that's a really great way to to put that. Uh, And I've definitely been very critical of tattoo schools in the past and not Mm -hmm. because I feel like people shouldn't be taught Mm -hmm. ever, but I think that, you know, the way that, and I don't want to get too deep into this because it's like I've beat the dead horse at this Mm -hmm. point, but like the, what we know tattoo schools to be as they are now are as predatory as anything else, as far Mm -hmm. as like not actually giving people the tools that they need. 
And I'm just very curious to see who or what entity steps up and makes uh, something that can, is actually feasible and is more akin to what you're describing, where you can actually be face to face with someone. It doesn't have to be like, you're my apprentice for two years and uh, I yeah. teach you everything and I am your source of all information. Because for most people, <laughs> that's not realistic either. There are the rare people who have mm -hmm. all the goods to give to someone. Mm -hmm. But I'd say most people aren't equipped to be everything to somebody. Yeah. I mean, so I have an apprentice and I literally watch them. They're learning machine tattooing, but they, um, they mostly do like hand poking and they do it really well. And I don't know shit about hand poking. Like I know that, I mean, I think I could figure it out, right. I could put something in, but like, I don't know all the technical things about hand poking a tattoo. So I was literally watching them do a tattoo yesterday, asking a million fucking questions. Cause I, yeah. how do you know, like the depth, how do you not blow out a line when you're hand poking? Cause I, I don't, you know, I, I have no idea. And now the person that I'm teaching is teaching me. It's just open and skill sharing. And to, I, I maybe to like build on what you said about like, what does that look like? Um, I, that's like the, the great experiment that's going to happen at my place where people that want to come in and want a shot can get that. They can come in there and they, you know, get bloodborne certified and all of those things and like can actually sit in and like watch people fucking tattoo. And, um, you know, there's other, there's other things too. There's like what, um, I know you're familiar with, uh, Tamara Santabanez, yeah. um, like the trauma informed consent based tattooing and like compassion fatigue stuff. There's, there's so many different spaces or things that you need to learn about like just functioning, I think, in our industry. And I think there's a way to be free and open with that information that doesn't look like a tattoo school where you're like paying a tuition. Because um, I, I think even with that, like I'm not going to charge somebody for an apprenticeship, right? So I know some people do. I think that's wild as fuck that that happens. But um, yeah, I think that, 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 that information should be freely shared with people that like are super hungry to, to learn it. And they're showing that they have the, the drive and are staying around. I mean, for example, I opened this, this opportunity for my apprentice and they quit their job the same day. Like, I feel like that makes me feel like I made the right decision. Like this person is serious about wanting to tattoo and focus on tattooing and doesn't want any distractions from that, you know? Yeah. And I they're, think they're all in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's maybe what excites me so much, uh, as I read about, uh, the, the space that you're building and all the, all these details from it is that I think that that's probably the most sensible way that I could think as far as like trying to make opportunities for people that you can actually back up and actually like give yourself into without, you know, hopefully not burning yourself out again, because that, that's a lot of hats to wear still. Mm -hmm. And you strike me as a kind of person who has a lot of interests and hobbies. I mean, you've listed off like 10 different things, like skill sets that you have. And I, I know that it can be hard to manage your time and to manage all of the things that you want to do and that you, you know, and then also manage time for yourself to be away from all those, the pressures of those things. Yeah. It's, it's really just not being afraid to ask for help. Like I have an entire community. So if even simple shit of like, if I find myself like falling behind on 
emails. Like everyone in my community knows like what my plate looks like. I know what theirs looks like. And so I can like message someone and say, hey, you know, here's the password to the the shop Instagram. Would you mind going through the DMs and just giving basic responses to people so they're not sitting there for days wanting to know like when we're open or what our COVID practices are. And I, yeah, like we we can all help each other shoulder that, that labor. And I'm like, I have very hard boundaries since I came back about protecting myself from, from burnout too. So whether that's like spiritual practices, like meditation, therapy, um, I don't give my phone number out anymore. My phone number used to be on my business cards. It's not now it's just, you know, it's email only. Yeah. You know, when I'm off work, I'm off work. I don't, I don't want to respond to emails or, you know, look at a bunch of tattoo references that you were looking at at three o'clock in the morning. And so now you thought it was a good idea to text me at 3 a.m. to show me pictures of what you want tattooed four months from now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even if you want to ignore it, it's already too late. You're already like thinking about it. And yeah. 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 That's, that's a tough, a tough thing to balance. Well, goddamn. Yeah. That's interesting. I would love to hear an update to, to hear how things are going for all yeah. of you over there um, in the near future. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't think teaching people how to tattoo has to be a scalable, big corporation kind of thing. It doesn't have no. to be a school that you can open in every city. It just has yeah. to be the right people. And again, me saying the right people doing the right thing. It's like, I can't escape it. I can't escape talking about tattooing right and wrong. It's, but you know what I mean? Uh, I people, know what mean. people with the intention, I guess it's more people with the intentions that align with the intentions of who they're teaching is the most important. Yeah. Cause and if people want to have like the bro apprenticeship, if everyone involved I mean, obviously there's like subtleties to that that maybe aren't uh, constructive, but mm-hmm. it's just about finding the right match. And I think that's that's what still makes it hard when someone comes in sight unseen and they say, hey, you guys offer apprenticeships? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the past it have been like, nope. But now it's like, it's still no, but uh, it's more just because I I would have a hard time teaching someone that I had zero relationship or familiarity with. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Well, there's specifics or there's like a couple caveats for what Wish Me Luck is is doing. And um, one of those is that like that's it's actually closed off. It is closed off for white candidates. It's that space. Those spaces for learning how to tattoo is specifically open to uh, black people, brown people, indigenous people. Why? Um, because there's been a legacy in American tattooing of shutting those exact people out. And so first opportunities, it's not that it'll never happen. It's just right now, that's not, that's not what I'm, I'm open to right now. I'm trying to give, use my agency to give, um, other black, brown and indigenous people agency also, um, you know, second to that is like, you brought up like traditional, like bro apprenticeships, right? Um, Yeah, there's no, this is a safe, gentle, affirming environment. So you, maybe you're having, you know, I'm seeing the same issue come up in your compositions, right? Or the same issue coming up in your tattoos. And we sit down, I grab a pencil, you grab a pencil, and then I just explained that like the solution to 
the the problem that that you're having and explain that like there are solutions for all of the problems that we might be having with drawing. I don't berate you. I don't call you names. If you make a mistake, you make a mistake. We all do. Um, but yeah, I have zero interest in like harming people. Um, like I've told my mentee that we need to work to destroy this like power dynamic because I know that's easy to do because I've been around for a long time and you're brand new and you're so excited to be here and I hold you know this knowledge or whatever but it you're you're already here all of the knowledge is yours you just need to ask questions and just be willing to to learn um but you and I are this is a very egalitarian relationship there is no I'm not your boss I'm not here to tell you like if you don't do this you're out none of that stuff and and even in terms of like how a person tattoos like I like that when I look at my tattoos and I, I do a little something and I'm like, I see my mentor in my tattoos, right? But then I also think about that and I'm like, as grateful as I am for learning some of those technical things from that person, I don't always like that I see my mentor's hand in my tattoos. And I think about where I started and the kinds of tattoos that I wanted to do when I came in that have now been colored by someone else's method, right? And so, you know, for right or for wrong, I'm still grateful. But with anyone that comes into my space, I have way more interest in just letting them go and letting them be curious and figure out like what works for them, what they like, what they don't like. And let's talk about the technical things. Let's talk about frame geometry. Let's talk about needle groupings and how the, and like, how do you whip shade? How, do you want tool marks when you shade or do you not? Do you want it to be smooth? Well, how do we do those things? What do we change, right? Um, but not necessarily having them sit down and trace, you know, 5,000 letters from the alphabet or names or maybe they don't want to fucking do names, you know? Maybe we just don't fucking do names here at this shop, period, you know? Or maybe someone comes in and they're like, you know, I want a, I want a name tattoo. I can do that, but maybe everyone that's there has no interest in doing names. And so it, today you came in on the wrong day. You'll have to come back when they're here to get that. You know, why do we all have to do the same shit? Right. Why? And that may be the luxury that a lot of people undervalue in that there are more tattooers out there. We don't mm -hmm. all have to do everything anymore unless that's what you want to do. I personally, I like to do everything, but I, I'm too. at a point where I feel like maybe I don't want to anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's like a hard thing to let go of, um, mm -hmm. but that's like a whole other thing. Yeah. No, I feel what you just said. Like I'm, I pride myself on that, that like I came up in, in street shops and so somebody can come in and ask for some wild ass shit. And I'm like, okay, just give me an hour. I got you, you know, I'll do it, you know? And, but I'm getting to a place now too, where it's like, there's, there's aspects of my tattooing that like, I actually would just like to focus on more, you know, um, that every time I get a tattoo, like a, a request and it's something that's in the opposite direction like I still do it cleanly because everyone deserves that right they deserve the best I have but I'm not really that pumped about doing it you know um stoked to tattoo but yeah I would I would really like to just focus on traditional tattooing so anytime that it's things that are outside of that it's like yeah I can flex and say oh look at this you know I can 
do a black and gray tattoo or do script or whatever, but it's, it's actually not what I want to do. So I feel that what you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weird crossroads to come to. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like all along, um, like that was how I felt like I was taking care of my customers by, by instead of trying to force something down their throats that I thought was my, my jam mm -hmm. to be able to give them uh, an authentic version of what they want. So I don't know. Yeah, it's I like it's like selfless in a certain way, but obviously not because I'm being like handsomely rewarded for my efforts. So it's like it's not like a, a righteous path or anything. But I think there's other ways to take care of your customers without, uh, you know, without maybe um, letting yourself fall into the into the shadows a little bit as far as like uh, goals and long term sustainability and, and stuff. Yeah, and I I would also say too that like. The, the thing that that makes me think of where it could be problematic is like it, it, you do a composition or whatever and someone says like, oh, I want, maybe it's a face, right? And it's, and they want it facing out. They don't want it facing in towards their body. And then you come in with this gatekeeping bullshit of like, actually, that's, uh, you know, that's bad tattoo etiquette and the face should face in towards your body. It shouldn't face out. Why? It's not your fucking tattoo, you know? So I think that there's, like, spaces for that, too, of, of where we also can, like, police people's bodies in, in ways that don't make sense or, like, make fun of people when they're, like, like the it's for me with the name tattoos on yeah, the wrist, yeah. you know? It's like, why the fuck does it matter to you if somebody wants a name facing down or up? Like, yeah. Like, well, I, I also think that there, there are some of that wraps up with like our artistic sensibilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's room to, to have those conversations without saying yes, no, right, wrong. Mm -hmm. Can you hold on one sec? I'm just getting a call from my vet. I got to take real quick. Yeah, sure. Hello. Sorry about that. I, my poor elderly Boston Terrier had to get one of her eyeballs removed today. So she's... Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thanks. Um, we've been dealing... She's had glaucoma. She's been totally blind for the last year anyway. So it's really not at any cost to like her ability yeah. to see or anything. Um, but it, oh. but she's doing really well, which is good. And uh, everything is as good as we can hope. So that is a massive relief. I felt like physically ill all morning since I dropped her off there last night. But things are good. Yeah. Uh, now I'm feeling good. Now we can talk. Good. <laughs> <laughs> this has actually been a, a very nice distraction, honestly. Good. Anyway, less about me. What were we talking about? I hate I hate to stop in the middle because we were we were really rolling. Oh, that's okay. Um, I think we were talking about I, the last thing I had said had something to do with like, um, the like, not policing people's bodies or. And right, 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 right. Said that like art that can be our own like artistic um, interpretations of things that inform that. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? Do you think that there's there's room to imp not impose in the way where you're forcing somebody to put it the air quotes right way, but yeah, but to suggest that maybe they don't want like the back of an animal's head to be what shows on on their forearm or something. Yeah, I think that another. Um, uh, I guess old school adage, right? Is uh, it's it's your job to educate your customer. I'm sure you've heard that, right? Um, so yeah, informed consent is a thing. So if someone comes in, they're like, "I want these super tiny 
tiny letters that are like eight point font and you go, hey, friend, um, we can do that. But um, I want to just kind of walk you through what that might look like five years from now. How, how do you feel about that? Sometimes I think you should be able to give space for that, that like this is a moment in time and maybe they're trying to capture that and like not so concerned with what it's going to look like five years from now and they'll look at it and they'll still feel just as good about it being like, you know, what now looks like 13 little tiny black dots on their, on their forearm or something. So I think just informing people of like, you sure, give your opinion, give your professional opinion to give informed consent to your, your customer. But beyond that, if, if a person says, no, I'm, I'm actually okay with doing that, you know, um, then leave it be. It's their body. Yeah, because I've definitely had those conversations with people that want their hands tattooed and they don't have a bunch of tattoos. And, and on a, many occasions I've said, maybe what if, uh, what would you think if we put it on your wrist or something? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that because what they had brought in was a, a Google image of the tattoo they wanted on a hand. So they thought that they like had to get it on the hand. Yeah. So after nuance there. Yeah. 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 So I I feel like after having a a number of those experiences myself, I know it's always worth the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and again, if I'm super uncomfortable with something, I'll, I'll politely decline. But, um, I, I think it's, it's, it is still worth having the conversations as long as you're doing it with care and, uh, with respect to wherever they're coming from, even if you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand it or agree with it. Yeah. I mean, like for me, here's nuance, right? Like I, I cover like, um, you know, human trafficking, domestic violence, tattoos, like, and gang tattoos for free. I always have, right? I've done that my whole career. And so one thing I won't do, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do gang tattoos, right? And even though like I grew up in those environments or whatever, and like, I understand um, the intricacies and like how, how that works and how that plays out. Um, someone sees that tattoo and that's the catalyst for why you get shot in the face. I did that tattoo. So that's on me. Right. Or you get arrested cause you're just doing your thing, right? You're living and you get arrested and they take pictures of your tattoos, right? When you get to jail and now you got a five-year gang enhancement on top of like your possession charge or your sales charge, I contributed to you getting that extra five years, right? So that's something I won't do, right? Flat out, ever. Um, Makes sense when you look at it that way, for sure. Yeah, but somebody that comes in and they're like, I want a skull and crossbones or I want a panther on my hand and they don't have any fucking tattoos. It's like, okay, informed consent. So this might mean that you going into a place to like get a job or whatever it might affect that like how do you feel about that I feel good about that okay I'll be back in 30 minutes yeah I've always felt okay following through as long as I feel like I've given them all of the suggestions and and knowledge that I feel like I possess about whatever we're going to be doing Mm -hmm. and then if yeah like you're saying if they still decide they want to go for it then that's all you can do it's not it's not our job to be the the morality police uh, in situations like that What are your hopes for the next year? 
honestly to to just center community around the space that that we've we've put together and um for it to actually like become i mean i feel like just the fact that it exists it, it already is a resource but we have some uh so we have some really exciting things as far as like you know mutual aid things that we want to get involved in um I won't necessarily there's there's some of them I like to do things like especially when you're like helping people I'm like not necessarily the person that's going to like broadcast like what exactly we're doing you know I might like something like if we're doing a food drive or something like that yes like because we need people to like come in and know we're doing this so you can't move in silence on that but there's there's a there's a lot of things that we're kind of thinking about um and how we can like impact the things that are important to us um mainly um like i've done a lot of work with like trans and queer prisoners and like i'm a prison abolitionist and so um without going into like detail about the things that we would like to do um a lot of our focus as far as like social justice stuff is going to be focused on people that are incarcerated and how our our shop can be like um a hub or a resource for helping people that are currently in prison and getting people in the community more involved with people that are incarcerated. Do you think that in the past year, uh, true change has been enacted in a way that we haven't seen in, in a long time? <sighs> My thoughts are we, it, it's way beyond the year 2020. I think number one, I'm going to say it's a shame that the first time a lot of people became aware or were stripped of their willful ignorance towards the things that have gone on this year happened this year, right? But for many of us, we've been doing this depending upon which ships you came in on since 1619 and some of us since 1492. So we have been aware been doing the work because we didn't have a fucking choice but to figure out how to survive um, under imperialism. So of this, you know, this fucking great, air quotes, great American experiment, right? So I feel like what happened actually in 2020 is a culmination of all of the work, sacrifice, death, enslavement, land land stealing genocides that that list is just exhaustive right that all of the the work and sacrifice that's been done um and the groundwork that's been laid out culminated this year where i feel like black and brown and indigenous people are you know and queer people are like in a space where we're actually just not we're not taking no shit anymore and we're not going to um, and yeah, like it's it kind of like the, the saying is like, you know, run with us or from us. So, um, the thing that I've, I've expressed to friends and community is like, I don't, I don't want to alienate people further. Right. I don't necessarily want to alienate like my white friends further, but I'm also not going to be anything but my whole like black trans queer self either. I'm not going to water myself down. 
I'm not going to make myself palatable to make you feel comfortable. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to be your fucking safe black friend, right? That cosigns on your dumb shit. So, um, I, I just, I feel like that being said, um, we all need to, black people have done, done the work, been doing the work, but I don't want white people to feel like, um, now that some of the things have been settled, that the work is done. Like we're all going to be working for the rest of our lives to like make, make things, um, better. Right. And for people to work on being like, you know, um, anti-racist or to work on their issues with, you know, being anti-black or anti-brown or anti-queer or any of those things. Like these are things that like you have to do all the time. It's not like I've seen a lot of people get engaged in these, like they post some things or they like, you know, disseminate some information or some resources or something and feel, and then they look to a black friend and go like, am I absolved of my, of this guilt that I'm feeling? And it's like, no, like you should have been doing, you should have been doing that. Like this is injustice and this is the work that we've all been doing all the time. Welcome to the party, you know? So I don't know. I, I hope that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think you saying that you're, you're finally feeling you want to be unapologetically who you are is like the most triumphant conclusion start considering where this conversation started about where mm-hmm. you were at just a couple of years ago. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So Faith, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so and, much. And uh, I'd love to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. You can find Faith at Wish Me Luck Tattoo in Chicago, Illinois. And you can follow her on Instagram at American Flesh. And all those links will be in the show notes. As always, I'm Andrew Stortz. You can find me on Instagram at Andrew Stortz, S-T-O-R-T-Z. If you're a fan of the show and you haven't left a rating or review on iTunes, please do that. Five stars, preferably. If you're feeling like four stars or less is more how you'd rate the show, then you can skip it. Don't bother. Coming up next time on the show, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be something. I've got a few recorded. I don't know what it's going to be. I was going to tease you, but that would require some pre-planning and that has never been my strong suit with this podcast as much as I try. So make sure you stay tuned. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Well, okay, I'm not done yet. I thought I was done, but I'm not. So after the formal interview ended, uh, Faith and I were chatting a bit, and I had one lingering question that I had wanted to ask, but I wasn't sure how to fit it into the conversation. And uh, with all of her great stories, I figured, okay, well, we got plenty of great stuff here. But the more we talked and we were comfortable and, and enjoying the conversation, uh, I, I just asked her. So if you've listened this far, maybe you want a little more. So let me give you a little morsel, um, one last little bit uh, that was, quote, off the record. But we're all cool with this being broadcasted. So enjoy this. Uh, if you want to talk about this, you can hit the Books Closed voicemail line. I'll have the phone number in the show notes, too, and that's a great way to share your thoughts. And then I can actually place them on the show. And we'll start getting into those voicemails soon because I got a bunch of them. And uh, let's just let them pile up. All right. Thanks. Well, I have one question for you, and I wanted to ask you not during the conversation because I didn't want it to come off weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious what you would say. Um, I've seen people 
talking uh, like a shop like yours, for example, or a shop where it's like queer owned or women owned or whatever it is. Yeah. And people will say, they'll, they'll kind of discredit it as saying it's like gimmicky. Yeah. How would, like, what, what do you, what is your thought about that? Yeah. That's a shame that you didn't. I wish you would have asked that during the interview. Um, because, so my, my apprentice, right? I'm the second person that's black that my apprentice, who's also black, got tattooed by. I am the only trans person that's also black that my apprentice was tattooed by. Or, and they have lots of tattoos, right? Um, and they have told me after that getting tattooed by you, like they've had this interest in tattooing. They've been like hand poking and doing that kind of stuff for like eight months at home and whatever. And have been trying to like get as much info as they can to figure it out to do it the right way and safely and all that stuff. But it wasn't until our encounter and their exact words that they felt like their dreams were possible. So, and then anecdotally for me, I'm sitting during my apprenticeship, um, my mentor, Tony, um, is a traditional guy, old school, but also like not, he was very nurturing. Um, and I'm learning the ropes with doing traditional the right way. Right. And one day I'm on Instagram and he's like, he comes and he hands me this Spider Murphy's book, the big red one with the gold leafing on the front. And I'm like, oh shit, this is fucking dope. Like this shit with Dolbeman and all like those guys. And I'm like, man. So I look and I see Jay Watkins for the first time. And I go, holy fuck. Like, okay, I I can, yeah, this is, this me, I can do this. So is that a gimmick or is that representation? And so it's important for me, all of that to say, it's important for me to put that this space is black and trans owned and that, and, and queer owned, um, so that the representation is there because there, I mean, there's lots of layers, right? But so that folks feel seen, it has more to do with that than, than any kind of gimmick. I don't want anybody's money because it's necessarily because it's black owned. Do I also feel like, um, you know, the, 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 the layers in that of like black and brown people having, you know, their, their stories like silenced or not told, you know? Um, so I need to be much louder about it. I, I feel like that that's, that's accurate too, you know? Um, What's what's dude's name? I just give me one second. Hold on, let me yeah. look at look at something real quick since we're we're here. Um, yeah. So I was just thinking. Um, it's like Cliff Raven, right, or Phil Sparrow, who were both gay, very out. We have all kinds of fucking books. There's a book being written about Cliff Raven right now. But the thing that comes to mind for me is like they can't be the only ones. But the reason that we hear about them is because they're white guys, you know? Um, and Cliff Raven was like, obviously very out. He's a fucking legend. Not not just in Chicago, just in, in tattooing, period, you know? Yeah, yep. Um, and I would actually argue even with, with that, with Cliff Raven, that like a lot of the, the, the sterile and clean practices actually 
some of that shit came from Cliff because he was tattooing during the AIDS epidemic and needed to figure out how to do things so that he didn't give people fucking HIV, right? Which is something he actually doesn't get very much credit for, but he's he was at the helm of a lot of that shit. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a lot of whitewashing and like our stories not being told is also why. Like I need to I need to be really fucking loud and going into the narrative of like um not dumbing down like who I am or like what I represent. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's any artifacts that can be unearthed that will like open up a narrative about someone that doesn't fit like the mold of these classic tattooers. There's got to be I, shit out there, photographs or flash or I feel like there's so much like unsigned, uncredited artwork that there's got to be something in there that we just like somebody needs to be able to piece it together somehow and it's got to show another side of tattooing. Yeah, I've I've asked a few people. I don't know if you know who Pops is that own Modern Tattoo in North Chicago. He mm-hmm. he passed away a couple years ago, but he he amassed like the largest exhibit cuz Modern Tattoo is also a museum. It's here in Illinois. And it's it's worth seeing like the amount of Coleman shit that's in there is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um and he literally amassed like the largest amount of like Coleman uh, artifacts that's anywhere. Yeah. But I those are people that him or like Burt Grimm's granddaughter who I've had conversations with and asked like hey, in your travels of looking like have you found any of this stuff or um before Lyle died like same thing like asking um do, do you or have you ever heard like you know murmurs of like you know black or brown like gay or trans like tattooers and like they're around their names aren't you know there's a i found someone recently i'd have to look cuz i don't remember their name off the top of my head that was in San Francisco um the same time that Lyle was they died a couple years ago but they were they were trans you know they were mm. white but they were trans and they were around during the same era that all of the shit with uh you know with that when Hardy was doing his thing in in San Francisco and um that that whole group of like um I can't think of the name of the shop right now but you've got Grime and like that whole crew that was there at that time they they weren't at that shop but they were around and like had a huge following and were doing their own thing you know this trans trans woman so they're hmm. there it's just yeah. these narratives are not told right yeah yeah i feel like there's a lot more in like the piercing world the whole like gay culture and all you'll see tons of old photographs and stuff mm-hmm. and I feel there has to be overlap um with mm-hmm. with more like notable tattooers that were kind of running in those circles and stuff because mm-hmm. all those people are tattooed so it's like who are they getting tattooed by yeah i think um phil sparrow's book i can't think of the name it's like bad boys something i can't think but phil sparrow wrote a book that like does have a lot of those like narratives and stories i'm pretty sure i have that book like upstairs in my library but um that has some of those excuse me narratives that are involved with like tattooing yeah and tattoo culture yeah so yeah it'll happen something will come out of the woodwork and and someone will make a book or something and i think it'll change a lot of people's outlook on the past Mm -hmm. and and what we are holding on to you know the other other thing i wanted to add to with with, as far as like the gimmicky thing at the end of the day like if we want to talk about, you know, paying dues, like I'm a Los Angeles street shop tattooer, 
you can fuck off. Any dues that needed to be paid or, you know, working six days a week, 10, 12 hour shifts, tattooing until four o'clock in the morning to come back and do it all over again, you know, fights in the lobby, you know, rushing homeless people that are fucking pissing on things in the, I've done and experienced all the things. I have all the wild stories, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, if that's what it's about, like, Wish Me Luck is just another fucking tattoo shop that also deserves to be here if it's under those standards. I don't give a fuck about those standards, but like it, the dues have been paid also. Right. I, I just don't really care to talk about them. Yeah. 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 I've, I've just always thought that if that's a gimmick, then we're, we all have gimmicks. Like it's all, it, you can always mm-hmm. put that on something as like a label. So I don't know. Yeah. Like when you tout that, like we only do tattoos here, no piercings you know, or a place like Smith Street Tattoo in Brooklyn. Yeah. That we we do New York style traditional tattoo. That's a fucking gimmick then. Right. I don't think so. That I think that place is great. Yeah. I'm so glad that it exists. I fucking love Dan Santoro. He's one of my like traditional tattoo heroes. And yeah. he's a really yeah. sweet man too. Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah, I think at any any of those those things or, or, or like ink slingers that's in LA that does fucking prolific black and gray, then it's a gimmick. Right. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. I don't think a gimmick is a bad thing in this context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I would agree. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I was wondering, I, I was curious how you would respond to something like that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. These outtakes, I, I've heard this before in your, uh, in in your podcast that like the the outtakes are the things that happen outside of the actual interview there's some like juicy shit and i feel like this is really good (laughs) 